Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. God's provision. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, Philippians your, yourselves know that, know in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. We are getting toward the end of this series. Uh, One more week and we finish up this book. We've been in this series called The Koinonia of Grace which is a series through the book of Philippians. Koinonia is a Greek word that it, it means more than fellowship. It's a, it means a partnership that we engage in together. And um, we're in these last couple messages. And today I'm going to talk about something that most people don't want to hear about in the church, and that is money. <laughs> um, last week I, I preached on this portion where Paul says that I'm so glad that you thought of me I rejoice that you revive your concern for me. That is, you came, essentially, you sent help to come minister to me. And part of that was straight up, you came and you sent money. That's really what he's talking about. And I want to focus on these verses 14 um, and onward. And he's saying, "Um, it was kind of you to share in my troubles. And so, you know, it's it's apparently not a new thing that those people who lead lead gospel mission sometimes feel like they don't have enough support, Um, that even Paul, Paul, one of the greatest, well, not one of, he is the greatest apostle, at least I think he is, he is the greatest apostle, and yet here he is, he says that uh, many of the churches had not been um, helping him and supporting him, except this church. This church had been faithful, and they had always been concerned for him, even when they were off, when he was off in this city called Thessalonica, and it's not like today. Like today, if you want to send money to somebody, you can literally whip out your iPhone. There's an app, and it's just dig- it's like digital digits. Boom, boom. You punch in some numbers, your password or whatever, and, and then money goes to their account. But it wasn't like that back then. Back then, um, money was physical. It was, a, it was a series of coins, and you had to carry it with you, and you had to travel long distances, and that means you had to carry money to, like, pay for your, 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 your travel, you could get robbed. Uh, it, w- it was potentially dangerous. And if you remember back, you know, if we go a while back, um, the, there's a portion in this letter 
where the guy who delivered it, it's this guy, you know, the, the unpronounceable name that our, our brother had difficulty with because everybody has difficulty with it, uh, Epaphroditus. Um, Epaphroditus almost died, so he literally had to risk his life to come minister to Paul. Um, at the very least, he was bringing money. That's what he was doing. I, I also imagine he was probably bringing other things, maybe other kinds of gifts that, that people in the Philippian church wanted to give him. Maybe he needed certain medicines because he, he's, in, he's in prison. I mean, it may seem strange to you that he's receiving money and provisions while he's in prison. Um, it may be because he wrote this and he expects to get out soon. That's, sometimes that's what scholars say because he's not like in prison for like 20 years. It's like he's just done something controversial and they threw him in jail for who knows how long, maybe several months, maybe weeks, okay? Um, uh, it could also mean that some scholars think that maybe it wasn't like some deep, dark hole. It could have been something like house arrest um, because he was a Roman citizen and Roman citizens must be treated a certain kind of way. And if he didn't commit a particularly heinous crime, he might be under house arrest. And there he could actually conduct some business. But that's what it took. That's what it took to give money. This guy, uh, someone had to be raised up. Epaphroditus literally had to if, risk his life. He almost died. And this latter portion of the passage is Paul giving thanks, giving thanks and talking about this, this picture of how people support. Where he says, you gave and you shared with me in this work. Now, the portion I want to talk about today is, um, you know, it's never really popular to talk about money, and, and I hope none of you are thinking, like, well, Pastor Susan, you just, you know, pulled this out of thin air. We've been going through this passage. <laughs> I'm just trying to be as faithful to the passage as I can be, and that's, that's the subject matter today. But in the Bible, money is never just about money. <laughs> Here, let me take you to this verse. Uh, verse, um, verse 17. Here's the way he puts it. Not that I seek the gift that is your, your financial support, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That's what he says. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent. And here's what he received. Not just money. You receive, I received a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Those are the things that Paul is interested in. He's interested in in that the way we give, the way we use our finances, the way we use our earthly treasure, will it be a fragrant offering? I mean, a fragrance is something that, that, that actually fills the air. It changes the atmosphere. It's something that isn't just like it helps me out because it gets me some money, but it's something that is pleasing to God. And let me point something else out here. Um, it says here, it says here that what I really seek is I, I, seek, um, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You gave to this work. You gave sacrificially to this work. But the thing that I really want, I'm not so much interested in the money. I'm interested that, that there'll be a fruit that will be toward your credit. Now, do you guys know, um, you guys all know about this. Thing. I, I imagine you know, most of you know about this, especially if you've grown. That there's such a thing called a credit score. You guys know that you have an account out there? <laughs> and it's not, it's not an, I mean, of course, you have a bank, there's an account, okay? And then, and then credit card companies, they give you a certain credit. But do you know that all the time as you're paying bills, 
that you're being tracked and to see how well you're doing. And so these credit, these, uh, these credit scoring companies, and there's, I think there's three major ones, like Exper Experian, TransUnion, and all they're really doing is they're saying, how good are you with your money? How good are you with your promises? And that score that they give you is not really even fundamentally about money. Do you understand this? That, that, that score that they give you is really about your reputation. It's about your character. It's about your trustworthiness. So that's why, like, if you, had to, when you want to go buy a car, they go in there, you sit down, and, you know, you get to that portion where you're supposed to negotiate how much the, the car is worth, and they ask you that question. So do you want to finance this? And then if you say yes, because most of us don't have fifteen or twenty or $30,000 in the bank, you know, you, you want to just put down three or four, and then you want to pay the rest of it off. They're going to say, well, let's find out. Are you a trustworthy person? Are you somebody, you, do, you, are, do you handle relationships? That score is about relationships. Except we tend to always think about relationships in terms of personal relationships, but you, you have a relationship with your bank. You have a relationship with, your mor with the, the people who lent you your mortgage. You have a relationship with your credit card companies. You have a relationship with your utilities. And they say, yeah, this guy always pays his electric bill. <laughs> right? And do you know, though, that a lot of the, do you also know that there is actually a credit in heaven? <laughs> that before God, you have a that he has a name, and it's not just some person's name. He doesn't need a, a, a social security number. He, just, he knows you, <laughs> okay? He, he can tell all the John Smiths from the David Kims. I mean, he, he knows you, all right? And um, he's actually far worse than TransUnion <laughs> or Experian. Experian only knows certain things, and TransUnion only knows certain things. But God knows everything. <laughs> and he has, and his score for you, whatever he is, I don't even know if he actually has a score for you. It's whatever, however he sees and understands how you handle that which is under your care and under your stewardship, he knows how well you do it. <laughs> he he, and he knows absolutely with infinite wisdom. And what Paul is saying here is, however you handle it, it will come to you with credit before the one that matters most. There'll be a fruit that comes from your giving, and God will know it. God will know it. He will credit to you. Now, I know here in America, we like to believe that everybody is equal, but the Bible is very clear that once we get into eternity, everybody is not equal. I mean, it's obvious Jesus is greater. And I think most of us, we all know that, well, Paul is a lot greater than I am. But one way that d difference is made out once, once we are in eternity is this way. <laughs> it's, it's, it's how we handle things like finances because it's not really ultimately about money. <laughs> As ultimately do with do we have the kind of character that God, God has? The kind of character that images the way he is loving and giving. In the world, people tend to think like relationships. I have a personal relationship with this person, and I have a certain feeling. That's love. And money, well, money is just this practical thing I need to do to get stuff or to, or to get things done. But that's never the way the Bible deals with it. How you use money is actually a very practical way that you give blessing to others. And wanting to give blessings and actually giving blessing, that's love. <laughs> That's real love. So whether you have a fuzzy-wuzzy feeling about it or not, but blessing other people, and one of the most basic ways we do it is through 
money. And God says, are you, are you going to handle all these things? And the fruit that comes to you will make some highly, highly uh, beloved, exalted, and filled with heavenly riches. And some will be far l- lower in the kingdom of God. I mean, the guy who was uh, a liar and a thief and a cheat and even a murderer and lived a selfish, horrible life and then got saved at the very end like the guy who was crucified next to Jesus, well, well he's going to be very low and not going to have much credit, so to speak, as Paul talks about in the kingdom of God. But for the person who lived with great riches, not just even just financial riches, but riches of grace all throughout, there is going to be a tremendous fruit and a credit to that person. And that person will be highly honored and admirable. You know, in this day and age, we tend to think, if I give this, will I get this? And and I'll never promise you that God's going to, like, give you money. If you give money, like, there are idiot preachers today. I mean, honestly, they deserve to go to hell. They say horrible things, like, if you give $100, God will give you $1,000. It does not say that in the Bible, okay? Because God isn't interested in giving you money. He's interested in giving you something far better. But what it does say in the Bible is that to those who give unto the Lord and for the Lord, there's always reward. It's not the kind of reward that's here on this earth, but there is a credit, and there'll be tremendous reward. Can you believe that? That's what Paul is talking about here. And so um, I'm going to touch into this. Uh, so that's kind of a mouthful for the introduction. And let me get into this, uh, this, this difficult but um, thorny and, but yet very important subject of, um, about money in three parts, okay? So part one. Life, the life of self versus the life of mission. I want to just reframe how you think about money. Most of us think about money as this is what I get and this is, you know, it pays this off. But that's way too small of a context for how you think about money. Money is a piece of the bigger way you, you approach life itself. Do you approach life of the life for the self or the life of something bigger than yourself? Mission. That's part one. Part two. Provision, faith, and impact. I'm going to talk about each of those things. Provision, because that's really what money, what we're talking about is we want God to provide for us. We want, we want to have provision. Provision, faith, and impact. That's part two. And part three, reward the rewards of eternal riches. They're incredible rewards. Hope you believe that. Okay. Let's go to part one. Life of self versus mission. As I look at people... I think that there's kind of like, just broadly speaking, three approaches to the way I see people handle their money and, and, and their earthly riches. Um, just kind of, it's, I don't know, you could probably make other divisions, but I see roughly three categories. All right? And let me, let me describe them for you of how people look at life and their money. Number one, this is the largest category of people. This is most people, and that is they make money Primarily for their own gain to become comfortable or to become secure or to become rich. In other words, that we work hard and we make money to get money and to get these other goods. That's what we do. Isn't that what, if you actually think about it, if a person, (laughs) if a person, what, what would we do with most of our life if this isn't what we were doing? If you actually think about it, 
most people, we wake up, and this is what we're doing. <laughs> we're trying to make money, and then we make money, so then we can try to spend money for either comfort, <laughs> or we get money to be safe, which is security. So that's kind of a strange thing. Money provides different things, but sometimes we get money for money. <laughs> Because we think money, having the money makes us safe. But some people, most people like to have money so they can spend it on something. But some people like to have money so they can have money, which is really about safety. And then, and then of course, some people said it's just so we can just have a lot of it to be rich. And that's a big like portion. That, I would say that's a large, that's, a, that's just a large piece of, of, of so many people's lives. Probably the vast majority of people right there. That's category number one. But it's about making some money for me. How about number two? This is a smaller category, but it's actually getting bigger and bigger. And I think there's a set of people, they live basically to enjoy um, their earthly treasure for themselves. And so you're thinking, who are that? Um, obvious examples would be somebody who is just rich. <laughs> it's like, I don't have to work anymore. Or I, I'm, I'm already so well wealthy, when, I'm, when I work, I, it's more for fun, and then I'm already rich. And then what do I do with my riches? I enjoy it. <laughs> you know, I buy expensive, um, uh, I buy expensive clothes, go on fancy vacations. I like really expensive, uh, I like expensive food and, and 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 really fancy cars and all these kinds of things. And then there are some people who are born into that. Um, you know, the, these trust fund kids. They're born into this. I mean, they're they're going to technically go to school, but really, most of their life is 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 partying and fun and. Some of us wish that that would be our life. But actually, um, there are more and more people. You don't actually have to be rich to live this, this attitude toward money. There's, there's a lot of people who, are, uh, uh, who do this. And you don't even have to, it doesn't even have, they don't even have to, have to wait till they're fully rich. There are a lot of people today, um, there are a lot of singles today, for instance. They get, they, get, they get the college degree, and then they get a good job, and then they chop along in their career, and they're starting to make pretty good money. But they don't want a big house because I don't want kids. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to get married. I don't even care about marriage because I, I like having this girlfriend and then get, get rid of her after a couple years. And it's really easy to have sex these days. So like, I don't have to settle down and have sex. I can just have sex whenever I can get it. You know, and you can just convince somebody to do it. <laughs> and that, I don't want kids. So, so then they just get themselves a fancy apartment. And then they make really good money. And since they don't have a mortgage, <laughs> they don't have kids. They don't have obligations. Where, do their, where does their money go? To themselves. And then sometimes people do this after they get married. They get married. They even have a name for this. So you have, these, so you have one person. I'm a person that's going to live. I, I make my money for myself. And then I'm going to marry somebody else who makes my money for myself. And then we're going to have a great life together, enjoying our money together. And we're, we're not going to have kids. So there's even a term for this these days. They're called the double income, no kids. You ever heard the dinks? <laughs> They're called the dinks. Right? And, that, and dinks have a lot of money because if you don't need a four bedroom, two and a half bathroom house because you don't have any in laws visiting you, you don't have any little ones, you know, like running around, so you don't need a bedroom for them. You need one, maybe two bedrooms. And I mean, in our city, it's, it costs a stupid amount of money. But in, in other cities, in other cities, that's highly affordable and that leaves a lot of money for vacations and going on like living social and doing all the like the cool things that are on there or if you want to save a little money you go on Groupon and then you get a little deal off off whatever vacation that this is and and I know cuz I I 
I go on Groupon, I'm like, because I, I don't have as much money. I have to go on Groupon or whatever, right? And then we, we do these things, but there are lots of there are people, that's basically what they spend their time doing. If you don't go to church, you got no kids, you don't tithe, you don't give your money anywhere else, where's that money going to go? Just to me. That's category number two, right? I would say this is most of the people. But there's a third category. And by the way, it's not only Christians, although probably it's Christians who are the majority, the vast majority of the people who fall into this third category. And that is there are people, they realize that if you live purposefully, having lots of money, I mean, after you've eaten all the fans, after you've had certain vacations, and after you have certain nice clothes, and after certain enough things are paid for, some people, after a while, they start to realize that there's this little secret. The secret is that actually having a rich and meaningful, purposeful life is to intentionally, purposefully live to take your treasure and bless other people. So they don't just do that like just, oh, well, I haven't given help to anybody lately, so you know, just once every now and then while watching something and, a, and, a, and there's a charity ask, and then, they just, and then they hand some money over to somebody, which is what most of us do. We to, it just tends to happen occasionally. But some people, they make that the actual meaning and shape of their life. And uh, the person that comes to mind um, that when I think about this is, uh, is Angelina Jolie. <laughs> You've heard of Angelina Jolie. She, she's, she's a Hollywood superstar. I don't even know how. She, she's actually the daughter of a Hollywood superstar, so she grew up rich. <laughs> and she's very pretty, and she's you know, really tall and got legs that go forever. And so you know, she, 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 she was like born to be a Hollywood superstar. And she is a Hollywood superstar. But what does she do with her time? She decides, in my spare time, I do the thing I really like to do, which is to go to Africa and adopt kids, start schools, push back disease. And, it, and it's so strange to me, even people who don't believe in Jesus, they can see this is a deeper life. You know, her husband, her husband was sort of like the crown prince of all hot-looking men in Hollywood, Brad Pitt. And he married Jennifer Aniston, who at the time was like the queen, the queen bee of all hot girls. So like the hot guy married the hot girl, it was sort of like, like the, ultimate, uh, you know, the ultimate homecoming. No, it's like the ultimate homecoming thing in America. And then he left the hot girl. <laughs> he left the hot girl for the girl who was deeper. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that incredible? I'm, now, I'm not, I'm not condoning the fact that he divorced his wife and, 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 uh, and, and then decided to, uh, you know, to take up with another woman, but... Even, even among Hollywood unbelieving folks, they can see there's something deeper and more powerful. And you don't need to be a Christian to see that there's something about the human heart that was made to be this way. Um, other people that I admire, I, I mean, I, I straight up admire Angelina Jolie and I occasionally like her movies, okay? Um, but there are other people. There are, how about um, Oprah Winfrey? I think her, her theology is terrible, but uh, without a doubt, I think she's a better human being than so many else. She's in category number three. Which one are you? Do you think about your money primarily as like, okay, I got this stash, and then I got this little bit left over, and this little bit left over will help a few other people. That's mostly category number one, 
or maybe category number two. Or when you think about money, do you think, how can this make a difference and bless other people? Of course, we all need a roof over our head, and we all need to uh, take care of our kids, and all these kinds of things, too. And in this city, and I do know in this city, it's harder. It's stressful and hard in this city. But yet, will you live according to the wisdom of the scriptures? Um, Let me give you a quote. And for those of you who've been in this church for a while, you know that one of my favorite preachers to quote from is Tim Keller. I'd like to give you one of the things that he said. It's actually, I don't think it's any, in any of his books. He said it in one of his earlier his sermons that he preached early in his career. And this is what he said. He says, the way of this world is your life or mine. <laughs> that's how we think about money. What can I get out of you? That's, that's how we think about our company. <laughs> our company, you know, whoever we work for, Long as, like, I get money out of them, their life or mine. That's what it's about. In this world, it's your life or mine. But in the gospel, it's really my life for you. It's my life for you. And that has to do with our money, too, absolutely, for sure. Let me go to part two. Provision, faith, and impact. I want to talk about three points in here. In the first one, um, I, will, I will talk about the dreaded T word, <laughs> Tithing. <laughs> I want to talk about tithing here a bit. Okay. And, um, and a lot of people are like, oh, they, you know, you, you, when, we, when that word comes up in the church, people get like, uh, nervous about it. First, let me just say a few things about this. What is tithing? Um, I know that some people think it's about 10%. It's not. First of all, I would never stand up here and make you give 10% because that is the general practice that has been, has, has been done in, in, in the Bible and throughout um, the church. Christians have used that. But there's no place in the Bible that says you've got to give this number. That's not what it says, right? I mean, that was, a, that was the practice that was given in the Old Testament, but that's not even what it says in the New Testament. By the way, if you start becoming very wealthy, you probably should give more than 10%. So it's not even a max number. It's not even the minimum number. Some people treat it like, a, like it's a minimum number. Some people treat it like it's a maximum number. It's neither. <laughs> it's neither a max number nor a minimum number. If you're very wealthy, you probably should give more than 10%. <laughs> and if you are really doing, if you're really going through a hard time and you can't give 10%, God's not going to like put lightning bolts down on you. <laughs> But one of the things I just want to say is, it's not so much some hard number. Really what it is, is it's, it's a practice of wisdom. To take these verses, this wisdom into your life. Who is your provision? Where's your provision come from? Is your real treasure that which you have and which you stock up? Or is your real treasure what God and how he sees you in heaven and the reward that he will give you in heaven? Is that your real treasure? And if so, will you be a blessing? Will you live according to the gospel, not your life or mine, but my life or yours? Will you live according to blessing the way God is? He made us to image him, to reflect him. God is radically generous. God, even though he owns everything, do you notice he's always giving us? He's always giving, even the people who hate him, even the people who don't believe in him, even the people who reject him, he's constantly generous to them all the time. And so God is always giving. And so will you live a life where you aren't stingy, but you give, and you give in such a way that it pushes back against your greed, it pushes back against your fear, 
it, where you're practicing faith and when you're practicing trust in him and where you're constantly giving into your super transunion credit, <laughs> as God will say, well, God will reward you. And so I see that number, whatever 10% is, is not so much, it's, it's a number that's not geared to oppress you nor to limit you. But it's, a, it's actually a significant giving in order to free you. So I've actually read um, studies of the way people give. And, and, and this, it's actually, you know, this, so these are actually done studies. So there's probably some uh, base of objectivity to this. Apparently, Americans regularly give somewhere between 1% to 3% annually. 1% to 3%. Um, and apparently, we Americans are the most generous nation <laughs> in the world. And so if you look at the, the, like the, some of the European nations, oh my goodness, the percentage of giving is just like pathetic. Now, I don't want to say anything, <coughs> Italians, all right? <laughs> like, horrid. Horrid, like they have a bad number down there, okay? And we Americans are supposedly the most generous, 1% to 2 3%. And I think that number is averaged out with all the Christians and all the generous people who give far more than they, they give a tithe. If you're giving a tithe, you're giving 10% or more. So if you put all those people in there, and then America lends up as 1% to 3%, you can see that most people don't aren't generous. They're not generous. And I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that, but I've got, you know, I've got secular friends who don't believe in Jesus. Um, none of them, as far as I know, give anything close to a tithe. <laughs> not even close. And so that's just the first thing I said. God asks of this for us. It's a piece of wisdom, but it's not because he's interested in our money. He's interested in blessing us. And he's interested in us being a blessing the way he made us to be. That's the tithe. And so let me just say a couple of practical things about this. Um, I'm not here to try, to try try to guilt you or to try to get money out of you. So if you think that's what I'm doing, stop thinking that. That's from the devil. And if you continue to think of that, stop listening to the devil, even if it's like from your own thinking, because your own thinking will be filled with the devil, okay? I'm really serious about this. If you're not at the tithe, let me just, just say to you, and you're like, I don't know if I can get there, Pastor. We're like, we have so many other expenses and so forth. Let me just give you just a few practical things. Today, I'm not expecting to think that after today, we're going to all become ragingly, stupendously gracious-filled, grace-filled, and, and generous, okay? But today, just take a step, a step of faith and repentance. And one way you can do that is have a plan. You know, like, okay, pastor, I'm, I'm one of those really bad people where I'm in the 1% to 2% range, and I'm not anywhere close to it. To, to, how about have a plan, okay? By the end of the year, I want to go from 2 to 3%. In the middle of next year, let's see if we can kind of rejigger our finances and see if we can get up to 4 or 5%. And maybe the year after that, we can get closer to 10. Ask the Lord for blessing and then have a plan. Just so that's the first thing I would just say. Have a plan. And um, the second thing, let me, let me offer you a second one. Uh, a second. So just, just choose one. Um, you're not used to giving, just try it. I'm not even talking about just giving to the Lord, just giving and being generous to other people from the heart. Just try it and say, okay, you know, for the next two months, I'm going to buy all the people around me, my coworkers, their lunch. And when I go out to lunch, I'm just going to pay for it. Just do it. No expectations. And just say, I'm giving to Jesus. Just do it. Just try it. 
Or I'll give you one other, one, one other way to try. If you've never tried tithing before, let me just, just challenge you for like three months. For three months. Just try it. <laughs> okay? I've never given 10% before. For three months, ask the Lord, Lord, teach me something. Would you provide for us? Would you show us? And then just try it. See it. Okay? And see what the Lord does. I dare say you will be blessed. I don't know how you'll be blessed. I won't be surprised at all if you got some cool stories after that. Okay? Let me try a second point. The first thing we always worry about is provision. Why do we, why do we not give? <laughs> or why are we reluctant to give? Because we're, we're fearful that we won't have enough. Or, or, you know, especially in this city, we're so, like, we're so oppressed with how expensive it is in this city. So that really what it is is we think that making the money is on me. I've got to be the one to make it. Who else is going to take care of it? I'm the one who's got to take care of it, right? But let me tell you something. Faith, if you're doing that, you're just living according to you, not according to faith. Faith, not trusting in somebody else. But let me just try to break this down, how foolish that is. You know what percentage of your wealth and your comes from how, how hard you work? I, I don't exactly know what it is, but it's nowhere near 100%. If I were to just throw a number out there, I'd say it's probably 30%. 30, maybe 35% is based on your talent, your brains, how hard you work. That's, that's it. And then you know what another 30% comes from? It comes from a good economy. It comes from your boss being a good boss. Your, your, the people at the head of your company running things the proper way, the people in your industry running things in the proper way, and you just having to have been blessed enough to have good fit with your skill set. So there was nothing that you could have controlled. So that's a, a whole other 30% that's not under your control. Hmm? And then you know the last piece I think is, and it really is, I think, this big. It's something like 40%, maybe more. Hmm? You know what the last 40% is? So let's not even talk about it in spiritual terms. Let's just get real and practical here. How do you do well in your career? Is it what you know? Isn't it who you know? It's about having good friends and good contacts and people that have come into your life. And for whatever reason, they've just been a blessing to you. You just happen to have a roommate. And your roommate turned out to be a technological genius. You, you studied poetry. <laughs> and so you thought you were going to be poor. But your roommate went off and then just started chopping up this, this hot shot company. And then when they needed some like low-end person in the marketing department, and you were you're like, oh, I'm going to be poor because I study poetry. You know, your roommate happens to be liked by his boss. And he says, hey, you should, you should hire my roommate. This person's really smart, is always reliable, will do a really good job. And it just so happens that poetry and beauty and those kinds of things is very useful. In marketing, the, the marketing people don't really always know that, by the way. <laughs> and neither do the poetry people. And then you end up doing that, and then your boss shines his face upon you and goes, oh, wow, this person's really great. And then when your boss leaves your company and goes to a better company, you go right along, and 20 years later, you're making six figures, even though you study poetry. <laughs> and you should be poor, <laughs> right? And living like on Walden and like starving like stupid Henry David Thoreau. But no, you know, the old, you know, the original hippie. But instead, you're making six figures just because you had the right friends, just because your boss did you a favor, just because other people opened doors for you. 
That's how life is. Isn't that the way life really works? And let me tell you, there's no better friend than God. And there's no person in a higher place than God. And I'm not trying to promise you that God will get you a good job or that God will handle you all your money and so forth. But my point is, when you approach your provision, do you approach it primarily about you? Or will you approach it with faith? That's the question I'm trying to put up to you. Will you approach with faith? And if you approach with faith, tithing is sort of like the acid point, whether you trust in God or you trust in you. You trust in you or you trust in God? <laughs> and the third and last one I want to say about this is I want to talk about impact. Um, you notice how our, our culture is just filled with selfishness and stinginess. <laughs> it's, making, it's making us all kind of miserable and unhappy. <laughs> You hang out with 20 people, you know, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, and they're all selfish and stingy. Nobody pays for anybody. Nobody's generous to anybody else. And you notice how it makes us all feel on edge. And if you get sick, you don't think anybody will visit you. And if you go through a, a, a bad spell in your career and then you don't have any money, nobody will help you through that, through that stretch. Nobody will invite you for dinner. Nobody will pay for your lunch. Nobody will, oh my goodness, I don't think we're going to be able to pay the electric bill this month. Somebody will help you that month just because everybody around you is stingy. So we just expect we're stingy and it makes us fearful, miserable, feel alone. And that's, that's, that's the way our society works. But it, you know that if you give and if you tithe, that it isn't just you. So... We have this thing, even, even our culture knows that this kind of like group giving, just it raises joy, it changes things. Because if you give, and this person next to you, and if you're around 20 other people who give, it's not just 20 people giving. It's a whole nother culture. That's what it is. It's just a, it's just a straight up different ecosystem. The miserable, lonely, fearful ecosystem over here, the, the generous, safe, and beautiful, and loving <laughs> ecosystem over here. It's just like, a, it's like breathing a different oxygen. It's a whole different culture. And, and the secular folks are trying to like do this. So like, you know, we have these things, which by the way, I think are really great. These crowdsourcing websites, someone, you know, I want to make a movie that celebrates, you know, you know something. Or I, I want, you know, I have this product that can really help certain sort of people. And then, and then they put that out there, and then people give to help them. And you know, what does it do? When that product comes out, when that movie comes out, the person that gave money doesn't even get anything out of it. <laughs> but what do they get? They get the sharing in it. They get the joy of it. And that's just a small little thing, except long before there was Angelina Jolie or before there were crowdsourcing websites, God was way ahead. It's called church. It's called tithing. This is the best crowdsourcing there is right here. There's never, there's never going to be better crowdsourcing than this. And it has impact. And the impact is great. You know, the, just, to, just to make this, to bring this home, just take a look at this room. Just, just to, let's just use this room. You know, not, look, you got, the, you got the, somebody provide the paint for the wall, and you, some of you guys provide the labor, and somebody thought about this. You know why this room smells so nice today? Because somebody sacrificed and gave freely of these things. And when I came to this church, let me tell you something. When I came to this church a certain number of years ago, you know what the budget of, our, of, the, of the English ministry was? It was something like $80,000. 
Today, we're, we're blown well past $200,000. And people are giving. They're just giving. They're giving because it it's, has impact. It has power. Because when you hear the gospel and you begin to believe and have faith that God does these kinds of things, guess what? There's more and more of these kinds of things. And it does things to people's hearts. It's impact. And I'll tell you a little, I'm going to say a little more about impact in this last portion, okay? So please think about impact. Um, let me close this message with uh, part three, rewards. I just told you that there's impact, that if you give and all those around us give, that it changes the culture, it changes people, it changes the whole atmosphere. But actually, that's not even, that's not even, that's not even the tip of the iceberg. The reward, look, I would never tell you give $100 and you, God will give you $1,000 because God's not interested in giving you $1,000. God's interested in giving you something like a billion dollars worth of love if we want to use that kind of analogy because God wouldn't bother with something as pathetic as $1,000. If you give, God does this. He multiplies love and honor. More and more people today, they realize what makes life meaningful. You got a guy, he, he's a billionaire. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you're a rich billionaire. You're so smart. That's all his life reward. Right? And of course, he's going to enjoy being rich. But there are people, you don't have to be rich today. They give. They give far more than earthly treasure. They give of their time. They give of their heart. They give of their talent. And then when they pass away, you know what happens? There's like a line outside their funeral. And there's a mourning that happens because there's a love and an honor and there's of this person. And just imagine that like a million full with everybody. That's the reward. And actually the impact of your giving is far more than you can even, you can even begin to see. So you give, let's say you give into our, our gospel mission. So we go to a place like Bishop, and it doesn't seem like we make that much difference. But let's just say you give to our church. Our church engages in something like going out to Native American Reservation. It's dirt poor there. Only like 10 people come, and three people get saved. Okay, so let's say just talk about one of those persons gets saved on that Native American Reservation. One person gets saved. That person gets saved, marries somebody else who's a Christian, then they have four kids. <laughs> Let's say all four of those kids get saved. And then all four of those kids, they, they have three kids each. <laughs> and then out of those 12 people, one, one, one becomes an NBA superstar because you know, they like basketball on the reservation and loves Jesus. It's like, it's like the Indian Steph Curry. One kid... One kid decides to go become a missionary to South America. And another kid, another kid rises up and offers a blessing and wisdom and mercy as a tribal council leader. One person got saved. Two generations later, millions of people are being impacted. It goes into your credit bank in God's super experienced memory bank. <laughs> and he'll say, you gave, this is what came out of it. I bless you or reward you. That's how it works. Can you believe that? 
And if you can believe that, doesn't it make you want to give? It makes me want to give. I'd like to close with um, two Bible passages. One tells you about the giver. Whenever you think about, oh, I don't want to give, should I give? And then you, you drop into that legalism and duty and, and guilt thing, <laughs> right? Stop thinking about the duty and the guilt. Think about the giver. And then I want to give you a promise from that giver. Both these passages from 2 Corinthians, and they're two of my favorite passages in the Bible. So this is my go-to passage when I talk about money and giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. Here's what it says. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about giving. In 2 Corinthians 8, he's talking about giving. Because Paul was, was taking a collection to go toward you know, great poverty Toward, um, toward, toward the Jerusalem church. He was taking a collection from the rich Corinthian church to give to the poor Jerusalem church. And he says, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. Your love. Not your money, but your love. And here's what he says. But how does he appeal? The appeal is not to guilt, not to duty. It's to the giver. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. And that's just the gospel. Jesus made himself utterly poor so we can have all of his riches. And let me leave you with a promise. Second Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. You know, we're always worried about scarcity. And, and you know, there's this word abound. And abound comes from the word abundance. Right? Don't all of us, we long for abundance. But he says this. If you want, whoever sows, you want to sow abundantly. Bountifully, that's abundance, right? So bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Like I said, have a plan. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not by guilt, not by duty, not because the pastor is trying to scare you, okay? For God loves a cheerful giver. And let me leave you with this final promise because I love this. I love, love, love this verse. And I hope you will like it too. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And anytime you start worrying about money or things, I want you to go to this verse. It's a great verse. I want to memorize it. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things in all times. Do you hear that? You'll be sufficient. All sufficiency in all things, at all times, even when it looks like you're getting poor, even when it looks like you're hurting, even when it looks like there's lack. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound, there's that word, you may have abundance in every good work. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord.
We thank you, Jesus. How can it be that you who own everything and who need nothing, you intentionally, purposely came. You didn't just make yourself poor. You allowed yourself to be stripped naked and humiliated. (laughs) And you didn't give money. Lord, we are quite certain that if you had money, you would have been more than glad to give it. You gave more than your money. You gave your blood. You gave us your spirit. You took on death to give us life. And so I pray, Lord, that all my brothers and sisters, that we would have, we would be like Epaphroditus. We would risk. We would not be afraid. Yes, it is wise to save, and we need to save. And yes, we need to be smart with our money. But we would risk. Risk having faith to give generously, even radically, to be a, to be a fragrant offering to you, Lord. And so I pray that you would build a whole new powerful counterculture out of this church and you would do far more than you already have and you would grow, grow, grow the giving and you would save many more and you would transform many more here in Turkey, in Cambodia, in, on the Paiute Reservation, all these different places that you have caused us to give and made a difference in. So we thank you for all that. We pray that we just... We're so amazed that all these things will be to our credit. And we pray, Lord, that our eyes will be fixed upon you. And and we would have faith in this promise, Lord. And we would live like and according to the great great gratitude that we can have because of the great giver that you've given us. Thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.